Welcome back to TransUnion's Extra Credit Podcast, where we push credit market insights and not products. I am Josh Turnbull and joined by my colleague, Craig LaChapelle. We are in the middle of summer and we're definitely in a strange time. There's debate over whether we're headed for a recession or not. At the same time, we see strong job performance. Interest rates have changed the housing market. Inflation hasn't slowed and is certainly top of mind for most people. We're seeing changes in consumer performance and spending. We continue to see supply chain issues impacting auto sales and many other products, and the list goes on. So given all of that, you may have questions on those topics and wonder what they mean for banks or credit unions. And those could be questions about how consumer performance is changing, market dynamics, or just interesting developments. So just a reminder, uh, email Craig and me at extracredit at transunion.com, and we'd be happy to weigh in on those. And given all that, this month, our guest is Jason Lockie, and Jason is the Executive Vice President of the Financial Services Business at TransUnion. And Craig, you and I put some predictions on the line back in January for this year. For our mid-year checkpoint, we thought no one better than Jason to come on and ask him questions, and he can opine on consumer credit health, considerations for leaders and lenders, and also talk a little bit about some of his leadership secrets. Before we dive into it with Jason, we... You know, as part of the welcome for all our guests, Jason, we always like to supply some trivia questions and we, we like to tailor them to the interests and background of all the guests. So for folks that are listening, just a couple of tidbits on Jason. He's an Army veteran that served in Europe. He's an avid hockey player uh, and unfortunately a very big Dallas Cowboys fans. So there, those will serve as fodder for our trivia question. Some are going to be easy, some not so easy. So, Jason, anything to say before we kick this off? Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you, Josh, and thank you, Craig, for having me on the Extra Credit podcast, finally. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough ticket, Jason. That's right. No, I'm, I'm glad to be on here. So I'm really excited to, to talk today about kind of where we are in the economy and the state of consumer credit health and share uh, what little ability I have to predict or at least a little bit of perspective uh, with everybody who's listening. Jason makes uh, decisions on our continued employment. So I hope you didn't make these these questions too tough. First question. Th- this one's easy because it's no there's no wrong or right answer. Given your experience in Europe, Jason, what city or region is an underrated hidden gem in Europe? Underrated or hidden gem? So I just have to play. Most of my context was in the Army in the mid-90s, so there's like a different perspective on all of that. And I got to say, one of the hidden gems is maybe Luxembourg and Luxembourg City. I was fortunate enough to be stationed in an area of Southwest Germany that was not too far from Luxembourg. So for me and my 20 something single friends, we would, we would get in the car on, on Friday night or Saturday night and drive up to Luxembourg city. And, you know, not only is like a beautiful city in the, in the grand, in the grand duchy and they have this beautiful old town carved in to the side of the mountain, but you know, it's a, it's a very international city with a lively and fun crowd. So whether you're there for the culture or the bars and late night entertainment, it is a great place to be. So if you're ever in that that part of Western Europe, make a stop in Luxembourg. Well, I'm adding it to my list. So next question, we're going to move back um, across the pond and we're going to talk Cowboys. So of all 
the t- other teams that have won the Super Bowl, which teams have, you can say either team or set of teams, have the best record against the Cowboys? <laughs> I feel like I'm being set up by a, a Washington football club. Oh, don't. I'm not a, I'm not a Washington fan. Oh, that's right. That's right. I am. I am right. That would be the Green Bay fan there. Well, that's one of the three. Uh, who else has a, a winning record against the Cowboys? Oh, there might boy. be more that have winning, but the the two that have the best record are the Ravens and the Broncos. Interestingly enough, Dallas has only beaten the Ravens like one time in seven attempts. Because when they were the Ravens, it doesn't even count the years and years in which the very same team was known as the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Just yeah, want to point is, out if they uh, stitch together technicalities. God, no, this is a good. tough crowd. Uh, yeah. It's, we've never, it's, we've it's never had a guest challenge so many questions before, Craig. <laughs> On the flip side, what Super Bowl winning team has the worst all-time record? Against the Dallas Cowboys? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, it's the Buccaneers. Ah, and then they probably have the worst all-time record against a lot of teams. Yeah, that's, I mean they that's haven't true. been good. They haven't been good for very many many years of their whatever thirty or forty in the NFL. That's true. Although the Washington Commanders are up there as well. Yes. So, all right. Last last uh, trivia question. This is hockey. So this is a more international question. Can you list the seven nations that have won an Olympic gold medal in hockey? All right, I'll give, I'll go, let me see. Russia or the Soviet Union? Yeah. I guess I assume they count the same. Uh, Canada, U.S., Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Czech Republic. So... Also very close. First of all, Norway has never won it. You named Uh, six of the seven, though. This one you will never get. You have to go back to the early days of the Olympics. Great Britain actually won. Oh, look at that. Mm. I don't do much on the Xbox, but the NHL game is one of them. And in the, the last year version, the year before, they do have a Great Britain team in the international squad. And let's just say they are not at the level of uh, what they may have been when they won the actual uh, gold medal years ago. Yes, but I would say for our British audience, we still respect their, uh, their Correct. accomplishments. Correct. Uh, all there right. are the game of uh, football than we in America ever will be. Absolutely. Let's move out of the tomfoolery section into uh, why we're here. Uh, picking your brain for market perspective. Um, I'll start off with a with a question, Josh, if you don't mind. Perfect. You know, over the last few years, there have been quite a few, you know, air quotes, black swans, pandemic, Ukraine, really that the consumer has had to absorb uh, by proxy. So given that, Jason, you know, all that's happened, what is the state of consumer credit health right now? So I would argue that, again, right now, we're, I'd say we're, like sort of in between the fallout of these call it black swan events. So one being the pandemic, which we saw the impact of the economy rather quickly and then an extended recovery, which brought us into much of 2021. 
And it was really at the beginning of this year that we saw the second, if you want to call it, black swan event emerge. And I would actually think of it not so much as Ukraine, but as the inflation aspect of the black swan or the consequences of what's happened as a result of the first black swan event and you know the supply chain constraints that we've seen you know it's possible that that the ukraine the impact on energy would have been less of an issue but altogether it's in this big thing called inflation and i think one of the things that inflation hits us very immediately when it hits us but i think from a consumer credit perspective it probably takes a little longer for it to actually have an impact. So today, if you look at consumer credit health, it is very in very, very good shape. We're still the you know consumers are still the beneficiaries of the combination of the um, the aid programs that the government put together along with accommodation programs many lenders had, and the I'll call it the forced higher savings that consumers had to do as a result of the pandemic. That put consumers in, I'll say in aggregate, I'll say consumers in aggregate, in some of the best financial shape that they have ever been since we've, we've been recording this. And a metric I like to look at is, um, I think it's the St. Louis Fed tracks the national um, uh, like household debt to household income ratio. And um, even going into the pandemic, it was at levels that hadn't been seen in 40 years. It was like at, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember, like 9 or 10%. And just coming out of the, the uh, global financial crisis in, in 2011, it was around 13%. The pandemic pushed it down even lower. And so, yes, while it's recovered, it's starting to, to creep back up a little bit as consumers are spending more. A little bit due to inflation, a lot, a lot as a rebound of, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Like overall, the country is in a, still a tremendous capacity to take on debt. Um, and so, like I said, overall, the consumers are in very good shape. Um, and that said, you know, at any individual level, I think it's it's important to, to understand, you know, how spending and things are going to impact that, but. Like I said, I, I, you know, given where we are in the cycle of inflation, I think consumers are in actually pretty good health. And it just it adds to some of that confusion that, Josh, you were talking about at the beginning when we say the economy is uncertain or in trouble or still good. Jason, I want to build on that a little bit with the next question. Craig, you and I predicted in January what we thought was going to unfold over the course of this year. And I think some of those predictions we'll, we'll be happy with and, and others will be a little embarrassed by come end of the year. But Jason, as we're we're halfway through the year, you know, when you look at the way the years unfolded, what do you see that you you say, yep, that's that's exactly kind of how we thought it would go? And and what are some things that you look at that you say, boy, you know, we really didn't see that coming, or that's unfolded not the way we thought it would? Well, I think I think the I think the easiest one or the one that's probably come most true that we're aware of is the the challenges in the auto industry with the supply chain. And how it's how we knew at the beginning of the year that it would take a long time for the auto industry to shift its manufacturing and catch up its supply chain to get the number of vehicles onto the market to meet consumer demand. I think that still continues to this day. I mean, the problem has shifted 
for auto manufacturers because, again, when they had a shortage of chips, they focused their production energy on the most profitable vehicles, which were you know larger, less fuel-efficient SUVs. As the energy crisis unfolded after Ukraine, consumers suddenly said, I want more fuel-efficient cars, whether they're EVs or, or smaller sedans. So there's having an additional shift to be made, but given that the, the supply chain is is challenging that's that's been a, a you know a tough you know a tough spot but kind of one where we expected it to be i think another one that's it's directionally where we want although it's probably unfolded a little bit more challenging is uh where we expected uh a little in housing but a lot in the mortgage side again coming into the year uh, anybody in the industry would have predicted that the mortgage industry would be softer by some double digit amount I think most of the forecasts you would see at the beginning of the year say that most of the forecasts now suggest it's a little more. What's the driver of that? It's that inflation we talked about. And again, the, as we saw at the end end of the year, in the beginning of this year, that the inflation has hit us so quickly and so hard uh, that um, the Fed is having to take much stronger action than probably you know raising rates quicker. Uh, and and in larger intervals than we had expected at the beginning of the year, that generally pushes interest rates up, um, offset by recession fears. But the, so that the ten-year and consequently the the thirty-year mortgage rates have gone up much much higher than by this time of year than we predicted at the beginning of the year, and that that really puts uh, certainly uh, drying up pressure on on mortgage refinance because um, you know. You know, many, many people who had the ability and desire to refinance did so when rates were down, you know, close to 3%. There's not a lot of people left to do that. And there hasn't been enough time that's evolved since, uh, you know, has passed that people would want to refinance, take advantage of the term extension. So that's really dried up. But, you know, purchase market still remains relatively strong. So Mm -hmm. the mortgage... Directionally, maybe a little worse than expected. I think the the places where we've seen like really strong resilience is um, you know consumer interest in credit cards again, and I think there's a a combination of um, a little bit of demand and a lot of supply. I think you know, we've talked about and, and and maybe Paul has talked about in the past when he's been on your show like as. Consumers paid down cards, card issuers needed to find ways to build balances. And one of the ways in which they've done that is to try to create new value propositions with consumers. So there's new cards with new reward programs, with you know marketing push to go along with it. Um, because as consumers are coming out and looking to spend, they're much more interested in, you know, maybe it's time for me to get a new card that's going to give me the rewards that I want because now I'm traveling more than ever and in a different way. Um, and so we've seen a tremendous amount of strength in that area. Likewise, um, uh, buy now, pay later in the fintech space has been a, a really pleasant surprise. Like It exploded when people were stuck at home in the pandemic and doing a lot of shopping. But the fact that it's stuck around uh, so long in what we consider maybe more of a post-pandemic world right now, like really goes to show us and it may be a surprising way or not that that the this financial product is something that is now part of the consumer's view of what their choices are. And it has a legitimate and probably long-term place 
at some size in the future of financial services. Let me build on that because you know you're responsible for managing a variety of uh, different lines of uh, business or supporting different credit lending lines. Some of that you mentioned, you know, card, mortgage, auto, uh, consumer lending, and that gives you that this broad perspective. You know, given that, can you point out common considerations, either opportunities or risks for lenders across the different types of products? Yeah, so I think, you know, if I'm sitting in a lender's shoes, regardless of the product right now, I think I'm concerned about some of the uncertainty. Again, consumers are overall in good um, financial and credit health right now. Um, consumers can get themselves into trouble quickly, um, you know, especially in a time where there's a somewhat of economic uncertainty. So as a lender, I'm very, very concerned, regardless of the product, what are some of the potential early indicators that my, you know, individual consumers are starting to have trouble or broadly across my portfolio, what could be potentially some of the challenges you know, how do I stay ahead of that? Are there newer or different ways that I can get a a read maybe on on changing behavior so that I can respond as well as as well as you can? And I would say it's one of these things, a misconception in the marketplace around, you know, like, you know, lenders want to get ahead of this so that they can get on top of collections and you know and get consumers in line on things. I think I think part of it is is you know, if you get to the point where, you know, you're making collection calls and you're, you're, you know, taking those kinds of actions where you might end up with a you know, foreclosure or repossession and closing down a, a credit line, like, you know, nobody wins there. It's in the best interest of everybody involved in the loan, the, the, the borrower, the lender, the investor, that the consumer um, take on a loan that they can afford and be able to, you know, manage that loan line of credit or and credit card uh, for the duration of the time. That's a win. And and smart lenders are thinking, how do I get ahead of that so that I can I can help my you know consumers who are my customers you know, keep me whole but keep themselves whole. A really good example for that, talking of Black Swan events in the pandemic, is how quickly so many lenders said, we're gonna we're gonna help folks with payment holidays and understand that that things are are tough now and you know, we don't want to force you into so much financial distress that it ruins your lives. And it turns out that, you know, it worked out for many lenders in the business in the whole. And I think there's something to learn there when you can see that, uh, you know, your customer, the consumer is in trouble. How do I get out ahead and work with them? Because to get everybody in the best possible position. So that's probably what their many lenders are thinking across the board. Thanks, Jason. Um, oh, you mentioned buy now, pay later. This is a this is an area of endless uh, fascination for me because it's it's very dynamic. Um, but also, folks seem to be of two minds on this, whether it's the media or whether it's uh, some of our our customers. Um, you, you know, it's it's almost like two competing perspectives in that it's a new product. No, it's an old thing with new clothing. Sure. It's a risk to traditional lenders. No, it's not a risk and it might be an opportunity. It has staying power. No, the lenders may be nearing a reckoning and consolidation. So from your perspective, what's really going on here? 
So I think I, I hinted a little bit when I talk about buy now, pay later earlier, but you know, in my mind, whether it's new or buy now, pay later, has it something that's been mainstream in a long time, if ever. And I think it qualifies as probably one of the most significant financial innovations in the U.S. and somewhat around the world. And I'd argue around the world, buy now, pay later has been much more prevalent as just a natural way to lend in more developed countries. Um, you could argue it's some version of what used to be a layaway, but it's like a reverse layaway. Uh, lots of things around that. But I think the, the fact is now that it's out there, it represents financial innovation, not just in creating the product, because the product could have always happened. It's, you know, not like not rocket science in there, but having the, the technology and the credit understanding and financial wherewithal to be able to make there are very small loans in the bigger scheme of things to individuals for a short period of time, you know, the typical pay in for it's a, it's a strong financial innovation. And, you know, from the work that we've done based on credit inquiries, we've seen analysis, this is a solution that has broad appeal across many demographics of age, income, creditworthiness. And it's, it's something that, that consumers find important. Retailers are willing to partner with folks because, it, you know, if you think about it at the checkout, it provides one more way to, to get certainty that the consumer's interest will result in payment at the end. And, you know, that's a big, big deal if you're an online retailer because it's really easy to abandon your cart online. Whereas when you go into the store, you already have a physical and mental commitment a physical store to buy something. And again, this is going to be there. It's a great innovation. We're seeing a lot of new folks in there. And frankly, we're starting to see um, many traditional lenders, whether they're card issuers, banks, or finance companies, look at buy now, pay later offerings for their customers. Because again, you recognize if I have the consumer who's part of my brand, I want to make sure I offer them you know, as many uh, financial products as they may want if I'm to be a, you know, a full service lender, banker to the consumers I call my customers. Jason, that's, that's helpful. I, you know, Craig, you and I, we, we had a couple of questions, Jason, on the, to pull you away from the, the business run on the personal sure. side. But before we, we hit you with those, any predictions that you want to make in terms of where we'll end up at the end of the year as a, as a financial services industry? So I personally think the likelihood of a, a recession as we think about a recession is, is you know, probably less than a lot of people who read the paper every day think. Again, it's, it's easy to take some, some high-level news here and there, especially the inf inflation line, and project that ahead to the world's going to be in terrible shape at the end of the year. You know, we are halfway through the year. The unemployment rate is 3.6%. There's still a tremendous amount of employment demand out there. There, you know, this is a this is a, a problem that's caused by shortages in the supply chain, whether it's manufacturing or service sector. We need people to, you know, continue to support that supply chain in order to, to deliver at the end. So I think while things may slow down in terms of consumers maybe pulling back a little on their spending on things, you know recessions a lot of times are driven 
um, or, or seen through the lens of unemployment in the consumer. Um, and I just, it's hard for me to imagine that we would be at, even if employment softened at a level that we would consider a recession. I mean, think about, you know, say when, when I came out of school in the, in the early 90s, there was a recession and it was probably more in the high single digits kind of unemployment. And you were really worried about finding a job. I feel like right now you're, you're probably more worried about maybe you don't find a job that was as good as the offer you might have gotten six months ago. Like, I think we're in good shape. So I think the economy, well, it may stall here and there because of idiosyncratic measures once a quarter, like, you know, um, drawing down inventory. That's what happened in, the, I think, the first quarter. So the second or third, you think manufacturers are going to have to draw inventory back up. And that may be offset this quarter by a drawdown in consumer spending as, you know, the rush to spend all your, um, you know, pandemic vacation energy money is, and, and adjusting to inflation is taken up. And I think by the third or fourth quarter, uh, you know, we'll be in a, a, a stable place. Good. No, that's, that's so that for a, a non, non-committal prediction. I will take it. And to your point, it's, it's certainly, I think it's, it's measured and, um, not nearly as, uh, yeah, meant to drive fear that some of the headlines are we see on a daily basis. So I'll I'll take it. I will say this is the year for the Dallas Cowboys. How's that for a prediction? I'll they'll like be, they'll be ending that. the year uh, fourteen and two, heading into the last couple of, last week of the season. If that's where the timing goes, maybe thirteen I, I think and the two. The set of fans that are perhaps only or the only set of fans that are as confident as the Cowboys are the Maple Leafs fans. They always think they're going to win the cup and they never do. So it happened for the Cubs, you know, <laughs> once. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Jason, as we hinted at, you know, a number of the folks who are listening to this, we know are, are leaders in their organization and also parents. And so a couple questions on, on those fronts, we had a couple episodes ago, Craig, uh, Karen Andres and Josh Sledge on, and they are parents of young children and we asked them some some thoughts on how they teach their kids about money and and Jason you have two children who are college age and so I'm I'm curious you know you spend at least 8 hours a day thinking about credit and and financial services and and how does that impact how you think about your children and and either how you've taught them about money or or your hopes for them in terms of you know how they would encounter the the financial services world yeah, so I I think there's there's a couple things. You know, I think uh, uh, you know among the most important things that you can do as a parent raising a child, whether it's financial or anything else, is you know, set the example that you want them to follow. So if you want your children to learn to manage their finances or their credit better, make sure you know how to manage your own and to be aware of it. And so I, I think that's one. I think spending this idea of you know having an allowance. And being there. So, for example, I, I think of it more as in college, in, in high school and early in the college, you know, you want the kids to have like understanding allowance. You have some money to spend each week, $25 or, or $100 or $200 uh, for, for spending money like in college. And they do it. Here's a credit card that I'm, you know, asking to be an authorized user in. That way I can see all of the spending. I can see whether you're above or below that and use that to just educate folks about what are you spending on? Is that where you want to do it? 
or you're thinking about saving. The other thing that I did uh, that it's not directly credit, but I think it was a really nice thing to do with the kids, which was to help them understand a little bit about investing in the markets, because I think that's a lot of people are interested in it these days. Uh, and, and for both of them, I did something where I put you know, a small amount of money uh, aside and said that they could, you know, they could choose to buy stock here and there. And I told them, go get whatever you want. The only thing I'll ask you is, why did you choose to do that? I want you to have a reason. You could tell me, I like the name. I saw a commercial that featured this product. I thought it was good, or I saw this. And what we found over slowly over the course of time is they had to think about it a little bit. And maybe they didn't have a, a, an, an, a, you know, an exciting answer at the beginning, but it, they kind of heard themselves and said, well, wait a minute. Was that the right way? Like I said, with a credit card, why did you choose to buy this? When you had your money and just to get them to think about it critically and then it starts to build a habit where you know at one time my son had just finished his freshman year and he's actually studying Nancy economics was like oh yeah i started to watch this one stock and you know it would it would go up for a week and down for a week and up for a week and down for a week so i, I bought it i sold it i bought it and sold it a few times and i'm like oh that's awesome a, a, Love the little tax report at the end where it's like one stock that kept getting bought and sold and making like, you know, 50 cents here and there. That's funny. Drive the folks at TurboTax crazy. I'm sure. Do you remember, <laughs> were there any uh, any big winners in their, in their portfolio picks? No, I, I can't even remember. Funny. I, I like that though. Um, you know, thank you. And, and Jason, last, last question for me. You, I think, TransUnion, we just looked at our employee satisfaction scores recently, and, and TransUnion um, has done quite well. And then the organization that you lead financial services within TransUnion uh, has done very, very well as well. And I'm curious, just you know, what's what's your approach in, in leadership and in thinking about managing a, a very large team of people and how you keep people engaged in a really weird time as it's been over the past couple of years? Yeah, uh, interesting question. One I, I probably thought a lot about my myself. I think, you know, it begins with, and I'll, I'll credit a lot of the corporation for this as well. It it begins with having a great group of people working in an organization, and again, TransUnion having, you know, not just an important responsibility at, to support, in our case, banks and lending, but in other things but also have a real underlying mission to what we call the information for good or really helping, you know, people and economies grow. And, and it, it, I think it helps bring people who are very committed to what they do to the office as who they are, knowing they can fully commit to that. And when, when we do that and we bring those folks into the financial services organization, you know, the role of a leader in that case is actually, how do you unleash people to be able to bring that best of themselves to work every day? And, and in my mind, it's about you know, giving people a lot of room uh, to, to you know, pursue and drive the things that are important to them that also align well with what we want to do in the business. Um, you know, I remember uh, not that long ago, Paul Siegfried came to me and says, I, you know, I may have this crazy idea that there's a couple of folks uh, on the team who want to start this podcast. They think it's going to get 
worldwide attention and they even have a clever name called extra credit. I was like, well, we should go for it. Like that's, that's how, you, how, you know, it brings you fully to the office and helps, you know, helps us and helps everybody do their work together. Like that's fantastic. Like I'm, I feel like, you know, it's a combination of, you know, when you give people a little bit of, a little bit of space and, and control and autonomy over, over what they do, they end up doing even better things. And people want to do, people want to do good things. It fits, it fits my lazy side. I don't have to worry about trying to do everything for everyone. And, you know, I don't, I don't know nearly any of the things that people want to make decisions on as well as the folks who are closer. Many times the one who are asking me. So if I can just reflect back a little bit, like what I said about, you know, with my kids and the financial thing, it's a little bit of like people like, okay, why is it that you want to do that? Does that make sense? Did you think about X and Y, especially if it's not something that's going to be, you know, critical if we make the wrong choice, if it's like not perfect, we don't, okay, great. Give it a try. We'll learn. Cause then when it matters, we'll be in a much better position to make the absolute best decision. And it happens to be on a day when I'm not here. I won't worry about it. Uh, Josh, I think we've probably exhausted Jason's patience and his, his time allotment. So I don't know. I, this has been really enjoyable. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Th- that was code for uh, I got something else to do. Really appreciate the time, Jason. Yes. Thanks Thank for you all offering. for having me. Yeah, thanks for offering the mid-year perspective. And uh, again, let's see how the rest of the year plays out. Thank right. you, Jason. We'll see you at the end of the year and call me to call me the carpet on my predictions. Oh, uh, well, the Craig and I are in that, that boat as well. So, all right. Collective good. All right. Thank you, Jason. Take all care. Right.